0: Welcome to Grit, Guts, and Determination The Leadville Race Series Podcast. I'm your host Cole Clover, son of race founder Ken Clover, and I'm going to take you on a journey of rich storytelling through our now 40-year rich history, and I invite you to sit back and listen to these eccentric stories, but don't forget to take a few notes along the way Because these eccentric stories are going to have tricks and tips to get you to that line come summer. So sit back, enjoy, and then we'll see you at home. We'll see you in Leadville. Leadville family, have I got a great one for you today. Not only is this guest an entrepreneur, who started with running marathons and transitioned through ultra marathon and ultimately into cycling? Uh, today's guest is William Doc Winmark. Most of you know him as Doc. He's got 18 finishes under his belt at the age of 75, and there's no stopping in sight. So I hope that you can sit back, relax, and enjoy because this is gonna be an epic tale that you're not gonna wanna miss. We have a saying in Leadville, you don't find Leadville, Leadville finds you. Well, Doc, when did Leadville find you?
1: Well, Cole, uh, a long time ago, back just about uh, three years after uh, your father and Mary Lee had this dream of saving Leadville, uh, of, of the story that so many of us have heard, and, and you can't hear it enough. You cannot hear it enough about a, a dream in a and a a, a commitment to make your community uh, better as a result of that and so three years after the run started um, I was in the ultra running area and marathoning and things like that and had done western states uh, as a pacer for one guy and and so I got to enjoy the whole experience from start to finish and I just loved it had a great time and I said uh, I'd like to I heard about Leadville, heard about it. And I heard about it in, in the reputation that hasn't changed today. It is, it is the big kahuna. It is the great, big, huge, um, you know, Everest of you, if you will, of running and mountain biking, it has its own reputation. And so I came, uh, to Leadville with a bunch of friends, my running friends and we set out to, uh, see if uh, we could uh, accomplish that summiting and all i'll say to you and we'll have a context of this throughout our visit uh is that um i will say this leadville regardless of what you come to do at leadville demands respect yes it if does. you do not give it respect it will summarily dismiss you and say, go home and try it again. (laughs) Yes, yes, it will. Many people have had that experience of a very good teacher, i.e. Leadville, telling them you're not ready yet. Go home and try it again. (laughs) But if you come to Leadville and don't have the reference and uh, reverence, reverence, and respect for Leadville, you will be dismissed. You will be dismissed. And everybody, so many people, have stories of being dismissed by Leadville. Well, yes. But I only say, you were dismissed, and if you go home and do your homework, and you come back and have respect, there's a chance that Leadville will allow you to continue on this great journey that you're on
0: in life of accomplishing a Leadville finish. That's a a very good way of stating it because I've sure tried to fight it myself and learn that lesson the hard way, even myself. Now, most of our family members listening to this podcast do know you as a biker. Um, You have 18 finishes in that bike race, but I'm really glad that you've, taken a pause and hit on some of this running because um, you did start as a runner and we need to start there and you mentioned you've done a marathon let's talk about how many you've done
1: yeah um, and and that in and of itself of what we just visited about Letville, has has a, has a uh, certainly a similarity there I've done 104 marathons uh, my first marathon was uh, in the '70s. A uh, race here in the Twin City area of Minneapolis-St. Paul, at the time, um, now known today as the Twin Cities Marathon, was then known as the City of Lakes Marathon. And I was a former hockey player, very, very good hockey player as well in my time. And I saw this particular event, the City of Lakes Marathon, which is basically four laps of Lake Calhoun and Lake Harriet. And people who live in the Twin Cities know those lakes and it's four laps in a, in a marathon and so this is in the early 70s and um, uh, i said you know i'm a hockey player you know i mean hey <laughs> this is going to be a piece of cake no no problem at all piece of cake well that's that same analogy that metaphor that i just talked about leadville if you don't have respect for the marathon it too will dismiss you <laughs> there's no question and um those days, if you weren't running under three hours, there were no you you there were no marathoners. There was no sixty thousand people or thirty thousand people, or quite frankly, ten thousand people. There was not even five thousand people. There wasn't even a thousand people. There was maybe maybe three hundred. and most of them all ran under three hours. And so i I went and I did it. and my experience at the marathon was that the last turn around lake harriet uh which is about uh 5k to the finish You had to circle the lake but she had to run by the finish line uh-huh. i came around i came around and the lady was handing out uh, ribbons for the 5k race that they had just done and she gave me a blue ribbon and she said congratulations sir you finished fifth and i said i don't know how she could look at me and say <laughs> i would look that bad after 5k i said Thank you so much. But hours before the marathon of finished, I'm just finishing the marathon. I finished that my first marathon at five hours, 59 minutes, and 56 seconds. <laughs> I saw my Volkswagen Scirocco six-speed uh-huh. across the parking lot. I believe, I truly believe that in the state of, of affairs of my physiology, it took me a week to get over there. And I knew that on my way home, I never touched the clutch. I shifted without the clutch. And I went home, and for the next three days, I died, literally. I was reincarnated. And later we'll talk about that. That actually was the birth of uh, ALARC, which is the running club, which today now I've trained almost 4,000 people to run their first marathon from the ages of... 18 to my mother at 73, uh, to run their first marathon. And out of those almost 4,000 people, only three have not finished their first marathon. Cause I said, there's gotta be a better way. And so I wrote a curriculum, a 14 week curriculum, a training curriculum out of my own personal experiences. And, uh, the rest is history. ALARC was born. Uh, it's still a wonderful club that's going in the twin cities. That's how That's how it all happened. And during this period of time, there were qualifying times as there are today. But in that day, if you were under 40 years old, and you wanted to go to the Boston Marathon. So I'm looking at all these these marathons. I've done almost every one you can imagine I've run in all of those 104. But one of them I wanted to do is I wanted to run the Boston Marathon. Well, the qualifying time for the Boston Marathon in those days was to run a sub two fifty. That's six minutes and thirty seconds a mile for twenty six point two miles. All right. My first marathon was almost six hours. I'm going. <laughs> that's a huge reduction. That is a long. That's three hours off of my first marathon. But I trained and I trained and I trained and, train and raced and ran so many sub three hour marathons. And then one day in 1984, a beautiful day at Grandma's marathon, Scott Keenan's great race. Um, the, there was always a huge group around that two sub 250 mark looking for a Boston qualifier. And we were rock stars that day. We worked together all the way from the start to the finish. And we had all attempted to do this before. And we all took our watches off. We knew we were fit. We knew we were great. We stopped looking at splits. And we said, we are just going to run how we feel. And I remember coming around one of the big freighters there in the Duluth harbor uh, on the marathon course and it was a 26 mile clock and it was like 247. Oh. And we all said we've got it. We've got 2k, we got to make one more right turn and there's the finish line at grandma's marathon and I ran 24939 on that day qualified for Boston and and got that bad boy done. And then all the rest uh, continues. Is history is is 104 marathons in and in a great career training people to do the same thing. It's just been great. The, the evolution that we'll talk about is now what's next. So
0: well, uh, but uh, before we Man get to all like that stuff. before we get to what's next, let's let's hit pause though and talk about how you got from you know like like stick shift in that Scirocco and not being able to walk for a few weeks to doing 104 marathons. Uh, how much time did you need to recover to realize you wanted to do your second marathon? Well, you, you know, that's that's interesting because
1: um, I, I would probably attribute um, a, more than a little, uh, not only m- – my family, my mother and father and my sister, but but I would also attribute my service, uh, you know, the United States Navy and the United States Marine Corps at that time and served in Vietnam as a combat medic with the 1st Marine Division. Um, There's a lot of life uh, situations there. And my particular responsibility, as anyone would understand it, whether it's a medic in the Army or a corpsman or a devil doc, we're called in the Marine Corps, is my job in, in... in those situations, and like in Vietnam, um, the acronym for a corpsman is, a corpsman or a medic only goes one direction in a battle, and that's forward. When a, when a Marine says, corman up, when you hear that, that call, uh, I'm coming, I'm going forward, I'm gonna go get that Marine. And so a lot of that um, that sort of instinct and that sort of training and that sort of understanding of harsh realities and difficulties just said that I paid a price and I felt mm-hmm. that price. And I decided that I knew that the world could be better if you simply looked at it in a different perspective. I can do this better. And that's what I set out to do. I, I, I did it better. I went and trained myself. And, you know, i had enough of of a background of of medicine and my own my own sport. So that's how the curriculum got written and um, and just said, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to I'm uh, there's going to be more people like me who, uh, you know, finished or didn't finish more. More importantly, probably is they didn't finish that marathon for that reason. I wasn't going to quit. I don't care if it took me six hours and I was all by myself. Right. it doesn't matter I started something I'm going to finish something and that's really what a marine does that's what my father taught me that's what my mother taught me um, and and that's what life has taught me you, you just never quit and Cole you know that in your father Oh, you know absolutely. that in your mother and you know that in Lee, and you know that in a lot of
0: people who come to Leadville and find themselves that, <laughs> I mean yeah that, almost that all that of them you uh, just don't quit yes yes yeah, so, and so. okay, almost instantly, you know, your path is going to be to better the marathon. And then now back to ALARC, which you said you founded uh, and were the president of to start this running curriculum for people to be successful in marathon. How quick was that? Like, when did that curriculum, when did you start that up?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, interesting. A uh, great, almost, almost immediately almost immediately within, um, that was in 1978 that I did that. And so oh, wow. by 1981, I had my first class and I, I taught two classes really what's, what's an interesting piece there too. If I, if I may, just to share this, when I wrote this curriculum and then, then trained and ran, you know, marathons, mm-hmm. I went, I went to what I would normally think would be a, a very important agency like the Minnesota distance runners association and I, I, I brought my curriculum, and I said, you know, I'd like to, I need a sponsor. I need a sponsor. And in those days, I, I was uh, also on the board uh, and president of the Lung Association, and so I was affiliated with them. And so I went, and, and then one evening over at Lake Nakoma, that's another lake in Minnesota, and uh, there's a lot of lakes, 10,000 of them, <laughs> they say, and I went to, uh, to visit the board. Uh-huh. And I was asking for $300 and a classroom to basically start this training program. And I was going to have two training programs a year, one for grandma's marathon, that'd be the spring training and one for twin cities, which would be the fall training. And that, in that case, that was called city of lakes at the time. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then began, and then became the the twin cities marathon. Well, I went in and you know, the, they all listened and I had all everything drawn up and shown them and, and, and all the, the experiences that I'd had and so forth and how it was going to be done. And they said, you know, great job, Bill, but, um, we, with the inimitable wisdom that we have, that we're all distance runners. And they're, these are part mm-hmm. of the people that always only ran under to three hours. You know, mm-hmm. they, they wouldn't never, they would never know the experience of four or five or six hours on anything. And they said, you know, I, we don't believe that anyone would ever take a class to run a marathon. <laughs> and so we're going to have to say no. And I went to Jerry Orr, the executive director of the Lung Association, where I was president. And I said, Jerry, I need $300, one staff person in one classroom, and here's what I'm going to do. And that's where ALARC, which today doesn't mean what it was then, that first day, the American Lung Association Running Club, A-L-A-R-C, the American Lung Association Running Club, That's what was, I created there in the basement classroom where I had the first class in Twin Cities for 1981. And that was the first class. And then that next summer was the first grandmas. And if you talk to any of my students, almost 4,000, every single one of them, if you ask them, when did, when did you do your ALARC marathon? And they will know the class and they will know the marathon. That they did because it was. I had about 70 to 80 people or more in some years, and many, many more than that that we were training. Then I added even some more training programs for a couple of groups as well. So yeah, that's how it all got started. And uh, you know, I kept on redesigning it, and redesigning it, redesigning it, and evolving it. And then I took a lot of those uh, runners. They said, Bill you know uh, we'd love the classes but we want to stay around you because you're just something else and i said i appreciate that so i created um other programs other training programs track programs it's called go fast and so i was training them these people to go faster just like i trained myself and i would so the track workouts the hill workouts the tempo workouts the running the repeats and then they said bill um, then I was running, started to run, you know, 50 K's and 50 milers and then went and did Western State. Well, they said, Bill, can we, can we learn from you how to do those? And that's how we got to Leadville eventually was many of the, that's, that's uh, begin with a bike part of it, which we'll talk
0: uh, eventually. But when you hear, I'm not dead yet, Indy, uh, yeah. another one <laughs> I started. So I Y,
1: oh. I'm not dead yet. That was enough what that means, as long as you haven't died, the world is available <laughs> for you to do whatever you want to do. I'm not dead yet. as a boy as realized when you're in one of these events and you're still going forward, just think of that. I'm not dead yet.
0: I remember being such a fan of that team as a boy, so I, I love that you, you mentioned were, that. You were a
1: youngster when we <laughs> knew you when we first came. That's absolutely right, Cole. Yes.
0: Well, yep. now John and Drew, all of them, and so you're doing all these magnificent things, but then you're also taking a lark and philanthropic endeavors, and. Yep. Um, every January first, you have an ALARC event. Why don't you tell us about how that, when that began, and what that is?
1: Yeah, and, and that, that you know it, it's interesting, Cole. You know, one day I I will I I estimate that I'll make it to 110, and and I believe that uh, I will be somewhere, likely Leadville, in a rocking <laughs> chair outside of the coffee house or wherever it might be. And people will be saying, just go put a quarter in, Doc, and he'll tell you a story. <laughs> so, so everything has a story. Um, it, what we I got asked to be on, on Governor Rudy Purpich's um, dream of building sports centers here. So Balabic, which is one of the world-class uh, skiing er, event areas uh, um, for the Olympics and for other um, national championships, and also the the uh, training center in Blaine, uh, Minnesota, which is one of the state-of-the-art training centers, uh, just an incredible facility. Well, I was asked to be on that sports commission to uh, basically, in, in the case of track and field, hire a Minnesota state, uh, state coach for that facility. And so we, we had a national search and we found a coach out in Southern California and he came. And, um, he agreed to, to, to take it. But one of the things he said to me, um, when, when we were visiting, it it became winter here in Minnesota. Well, he had no idea what winter really was. He'd seen pictures, but he lived in Southern California and he said, doc, you know, for the last number of years, I always go for a swim on January 1st. (laughs) What are we going to do here? And I said, you know, no, no worry. Here's what we'll do. So we, they came out to my house on uh, in Deep Haven, near Lake Minnetonka, and nine of us, nine of my buddies, um, we all got together, and we thought, let's let's do a ten mile run in the middle of the ten mile run. Let's run out onto the lake on Lake Minnetonka. Run across to Wayzata. They bubble the docks out there to keep the the ice from taking those big piers out. Uh-huh. So there's open water. So we ran across the lake, uh, stripped down to our skivvies, jumped into the lake, got back up, put our stuff on, and finished a 10-mile run. That was <laughs> the first, now, of a 32-year history that has evolved into my charity. And the charity that we have is every January 1st as a result of that. Um, and Mr. Harris, who we did this for, uh, we, we raise money for Tunnels of Towers, which is an absolutely um, amazing group um, built off of 9-11 and the firefighters and veterans. They build homes for a lot of our combat wounded and disabled. Um, and it's just an absolutely tremendous program um, that we support there. Also, local law enforcement, We all the money that we raise for this ice dive on January 1st, uh, is donated to our, our men and women in blue who are scanning the blue line and our men and women at the fire on the red line and our military and also, most importantly, suicide prevention. So every January 1st at 8.30 in the morning for 32 years, this being the last, this last uh, January 1st was my 32nd year, I'm the only one left of the nine, and <laughs> I still start the dive. And I jump into a hole that's 8 feet wide and 36 feet long And you get to the other end of it, you get out and you get a dive certificate. And we created ranks of people, ranks, excuse me, ranks of dives. So like you, Cole, I don't believe you join me because if you ever want to, you can. (laughs) But so for the rest of your life and anyone listening who has never done the ice dive with Doc in our association with our fundraiser on January 1st at Lake Minnetonka, Excelsior, Minnesota, you are forever going to be a guppy. And I want you to understand: <laughs> guppies live in mud puddles, so they only survive as long as the mud puddle is still there. As Soon as the mud puddle is gone, the guppy's gone. If you do one year a minnow, if you do two year a walleye, if you do three year a northern, if you do four year a mus- uh, 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 muskie. if you do five year a barracuda, and then a barracuda, blah blah blah, up to ten years, and then you become a shark, and we, and then you get a black robe, a shark robe. If you continue on and you do ten more, and you come to your twentieth anniversary you become an orca and that's even a bigger and more glorious uh, robe that you wear to the dive. And then only one so far, there's another young lady who joined me a long time ago when she was in high school. She um, uh, is going to, Megan is going to be getting her polar bear. So if you th- think of it in terms of the superiority of, of, of all of these different kingdoms of fish and, 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 and waterfowl, the, the polar bear is the ultimate of the top. So then you get a beautiful, beautiful jacket and, uh, and your polar bear for 30. And I now this next year will be 33. So long. that's a long story, but everyone has a story. And you can see that's more than a quarter's worth of a story. About that ice dive charity that continues today, and I'm very proud of it. Uh, we get probably anywhere from four to six hundred people a year that uh, do the dive with us. It's just a it's just a great celebration, wonderful fun.
0: Well, it sure is. I definitely have not even made the guppy category yet. You're right; I've only been docked on the sidelines. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that opportunity is
1: waiting for you whenever you're ready.
0: Well, I think you. Probably shouldn't hold your breath. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I won't do that. I'll just hold my breath when I'm in the cold water trying to get to the other end.
0: Well, now, and then along your quest with Marathon and all this, you were also a 50-mile road run director, correct?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it started out, um, the, the, the birth, uh, I think you're talking about the uh, Edmund Fitzgerald. Uh-huh. Um, up in Duluth and that, that's another w- one of those interesting things uh, it, 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 as it's very similar to what you just heard about in the, the birth of, uh, of the charity of mine uh, same thing, Barney Klecker Janice Klecker, Janice was a 1991 number one woman Olympian went to Barcelona, Barney has numbers of world records and ultras and so forth, good, good, great friends, they were part of my faculty in my training program so they taught with me um Janice is a um dentist, uh Barney is a very successful businessman. Anyway, in those at that time Barney said to me, Bill, y- you're the guy. Uh, I want you to create me for me an ultra run on the North Shore of Minnesota. I said, "Okay." And so I went up to the North Shore and literally uh created the Edmund Fitzgerald today which is considered the third greatest ultra of ever ultra road, ultra uh, ever the third greatest one. It's in the, it's in the record books world the world record books. And we are still to this day and forever, the only road ultra that ever, ever, um, we had the world championships in 1991. We had the USATF uh, national championships in 1991. We brought the world, to dilute nobody had ever done it anywhere else in the world nobody had ever brought all the world's best ultra runners all of them the only one only one gentleman who couldn't come was from france domingo catalan everyone else uh came don ritchie uh, all the names that wouldn't mean a lot to a lot of people but in those that day these were these were the best of the best of the best of the best from every country around the world and they went mano a mano Uh, at the Edmund Fitz. But prior to that road race becoming real was the fact that when I first started it, um, it was a 50K and a 100K. But what happened is from an economic standpoint and a race director standpoint, and you understand this, your dad understands (laughs) this, Merrily understands this, Lifetime understands this, You can't put on those kinds of 62-mile point-to-point races without having some financial ability to basically make it happen. Mm -hmm. Well, I had 12 people show up for the first one. Barney was very happy. Jan was (laughs) very happy. And then the next year I added the 50K, and I got about 25 more. And then I said, guys, we can't make – we can't do this. So I created the marathon relay – or excuse me, the ultra relay. Which actually was the birth of today, the Hood to Coast, which is still going. Yeah. A race director a number of years into the Edmund Fitz came and asked if he could visit with me to see how we do our logistics. He created the Hood to Coast out of the Edmund Fitz. So I brought teams up there that would run uh, two five Ks, two ten Ks, two fifteen Ks, two twenty Ks. Obviously, adding up to hundred K and they would run as a team relay and relay points. And it was absolutely one of the greatest things. And so for the first time, we got so many ultra runners showing up because never before the Edmund Fitz did any of them ever experience having a, a, a crowd around them their entire race, because most of them are used to running alone. Right. And here they go to the Edmund Fitz and you've got a couple thousand teams that are cheering these individuals on that are doing it solo and the reverence for all of them for what they were doing because here's a team experiencing it in an eight-person team and here's this one person doing it all by themselves. It created an opportunity for so many people to say, you know what, I've I've run on a team, I've watched these people, these men and women, I want to be one of them. And so many of them will tell you a story, that's how they saw it. And the greatest joy that they had is I had I, I also because it's the Edmund Fitzgerald and the Edmund Fitzgerald, you know, sunk in November. We we actually over time, we brought a lot of the survivors because one of the traditions was we rang the ship's bell during the awards program for all of the 29 men that perished with the Edmund Fitzgerald and went down. And we've got a lot of the family members finally willing to come and uh, be with us so we can say thank you. And so we had a great big huge um, ship's bell. And one of the greatest things, not only ringing it for the 29, but the only people that could ring it themselves were anyone who finished the Edmund
0: Fitzgerald 100K. Oh, And cool. that became an absolute, you know, like, like don't ever quit,
2: you
1: yeah. know, keep going. You know, because they, and so many of them told their stories I kept going, I suffered, I felt it but I wanted to ring the bell at the word ceremony. I wanted to ring the bell. And so they got to ring the bell if they finished the 100K. And so we, we uh, had a great run, uh, you know, and then just economics and all kinds of other kinds of things became um, realities. And uh, in 2007, uh, we called, uh, called it, and, uh, and the Edmund Fitzgerald had its last run, uh, then, but the history is still replete with just incredible memories. So many, so many people call and saying, Hey doc, doc, why don't you go up there? Let's just do a, like a reunion run. Go, oh God, you guys, <laughs> the, 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 things that we did in our, in those days, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, are, are probably 10 times harder today than they were then. Um, and so we've never, never had a reunion run, but, but the history is still there. That's the most important thing.
0: Oh. Well, for sure, for sure. And then now back to your own running history, you're going all these directions, you're directing, directing all these different projects. But in 1992 is when you came out and found us with that run. Um, was that your first 100-mile run experience personally?
1: That, that was my second because okay. I I had already done Western States. Um, and so I, I that, that was my second. And I, I, I said, you know what? Like I said, it, 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 Leadville was on the map. I mean, it, everybody knew who Leadville was. It, it's known for its altitude. It's known for its, its difficulty. And it's known for its reputation, just for what it is. It is unique to itself. There is not a comparison whatsoever to all of them. The, all of them actually have, as you know very well, Cole. Yeah. Each of the of the each of the ultras, and especially in the hundreds. Um, all have their unique characteristics uh, that aren't, aren't any similar other than just the distance that's the only thing that's the same everything else is different and that's what makes it so special they're very very different events in, in so many characteristics but this one, this one was the, the Everest if you will of ultra running as far as a lot of people felt it was the Everest and so like I've said before and all the things I've done in my life I said, let's go do the Everest. Let's go do this. And it took me uh, six attempts to actually finally finish uh, the Leadville, 28 hours and 39 minutes. And uh, that, in and of itself, was uh, was an amazing, absolutely amazing experience. And here, and and it's from a, a perspective that I was still a very, very good sub three hour marathoner.
0: Right. And it still Leville took you all these tries. not care. Right.
1: Right. <laughs> they don't care. So I really cut my teeth at Leadville, for sure.
0: Well, and then, you know, I'm really excited to make this transition to uh, biking. But before mm-hmm. we do that, I mean, there's another Everest in front of you, and that's your day job. Uh, you mm-hmm. changed the face of healthcare in America. And I'd say that's a pretty big deal. Do you want to tell us about that?
1: Yeah. It, uh, thank you so much. You know, through my my entire healthcare career, um, it, it evolved uh, starting in the military. You know, uh, you know, I was destined to go to medical school, and and uh, postponed that to go to Vietnam instead, with a life expectancy of three months, and uh-huh. came back, and and just uh, my mother uh, was a Yale graduate, master's degree. Uh, director of nursing, professor of nursing of, uh, in Columbia. And she's another story we'll talk about too, because she became a marathoner at the age of 73 and ran 10 grandma's marathons until the age of seventy or 84. So she's a legend in and of herself. And she'd only have been an equestrian rider uh, and, and the first woman before Title IX to create a basket, women's basketball team at Yale University. Uh, my mom was, I, i the DNA is there along with my dad, uh, for his various reasons too. Uh, boy, I got some tremendous genes in me to, from those two, but mom was healthcare mom, that orientation. So yeah, I, my whole industry, uh, when I came back, I was already qualified. I was already trained in residencies in anesthesia and, and um in pulmonary medicine and uh sub in orthopedics and of course combat medicine so i took a lot of those things and was in in the arena of providing a lot of care uh directing a department of respiratory care at a, at a local hospital here for it. i got a hired away from there to create a home care program for those same people with, with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease created that um, then was hired away to go to one of the first uh, IPA HMOs uh, here in Minnesota, HMO growth a long time ago. Um, took I had all the hospital contacts, long story mid short, I got hired away by one of the hospitals and said we, we'd like to have our administrative team. So I was doing physician acquisition programs for Fairview here. And then one day at our executives uh, committee meeting, uh, well, back up one thing, I did all of the, uh, the, the development work uh, at the HMO work, we were looking at how to control cost, and one of the things was try to keep people out of emergency rooms, and the the president um, asked me, Rich Burke, said, hey, Bill, would you go on and take a look at these places that are opening up in Ke- Texas and Florida, and they call them urgent care centers. They're mm-hmm. called immediate care centers. And they're really a, a tangential entry, entry point before the emergency room for things that don't belong in the emergency room because that's the most expensive place you go for health care. Anyway, I went down, did a study, brought it back. It was a three-ring binder. I presented it to the executive committee, and uh, and they and Rich pushed it back across the, book, the table to me. Always remember it. Still have the book. And he said, Bill, you're destined to be in your own business. You'll know when to do this in Minnesota. And uh, so I was hired away then, like I said, from PHP, from Rich, left them, went over to Fairview, was on the executive team, and then learned in a meeting that they that Fairview was going to hire a firm out of Tennessee to develop the urgent care network for Fairview. And that afternoon I called, um, Carl Platter was the president, called Barbara, his secretary, and said, Barbara, has Carl got some time? She said, absolutely, Bill, come on down. I went and saw Mr. Platter and I said, Mr. Platter, um, you know, I I just have to let you know that I am going to have to resign today because I can't sit and listen to you do the very thing that I'm going to do in Minnesota. I'm going to create a private urgent care um, network in Minnesota. And uh, he just said surprisingly and wonderfully, he said, Bill, why don't you do it for us? And here's a, a very important philosophical and and sort of, um, ethical position that I wish we would have more of today. And that is, I said, you know, Mr. Clara, with all due respect, I don't think hospitals should be in the practice of medicine. These should be independent things because it's important for that independence that we get the best quality care to the person who needs it. They should not be commingled. And look today, they're all commingled into one thing. And so anyway, I went out, um, i i i sold everything i had i was unemployed i couldn't make my mortgage we were six months in arrear my wife was pregnant with our with our second child um uh, and and i went out and and raised money um got a broker to help me and got the money got started uh the got it got it open uh, opened in bridgedale which is in minnetonka opened up our first center Uh, and we went three weeks with nobody coming in because nobody had ever done this. Sure. Nobody had ever done open up a store, a a storefront, a retail front and say, you can come here seven days a week, 13 hours a day, and we will take care of you. You don't even need an appointment. Come on in. Long story made short, we, we started to build, started to build, started to make a lot of money. We developed the concept of urgent care. We developed the concept, you don't have to go to the emergency room. You can save money, contracted with a lot of user groups and then uh, decided, and I, I made a visionary kind of thing. I, we, we were doing absolutely great, but I told my board, I said, guys, we'll never be anything to anyone as one center. We've got to be a network. And so we took our profits, went across into St. Paul, opened there. Long story short, we built it. I built it into the largest urgent care and work comp case management um, uh, urgent care in the state of Minnesota. And a number of years ago, the big three came bidding. I had 400 employees and we uh, sold to one of the great big systems and uh, the rest is history. And during that, I wrote a book called Bill's Book because people were wanting to know how to do this. And so I said, I'll let you know how to do it. Wherever you are, here's, here's how you do it. I lectured the Merritt College of Emergency Physicians, lectured all over the country, became the president of the National Association of Urgent Care. I um, went to Washington, D.C., uh, worked on Medicare um, uh, evolution of the CPT codes and the ICD-9 codes for urgent care, creating that entity so we can bill for it within the uh, Medicare our CMS as it's known today. So, yeah, that's that I did, too. <laughs> and, and it just, uh, it's sort of in my DNA. Uh, it is what it is, Cole. It's in my well, DNA.
0: It, it is. I mean, just there's quite a few successful business models in your wake and in your future, both, I'm sure of it. Um, so you have all this success in, in all these different parts of your life. Well, now it's 1996 and you're on your way out to Leadville, but this time for the first time with a bike. Mm-hmm. What was that? inaugural race for you uh inaugural mountain bike race for you like
1: yeah yeah it's interesting uh the bike part of my adventure and my my uh life in Leadville uh my forever life is that I had also transitioned not only from my marathoning you know to the ultras uh and trail running but I also said I, I see another thing out here it's called uh triathlons and i saw the iron man you know 2.4 uh-huh. mile swim you know 112 mile bike and a, and then you go run a marathon right right well i never started with you know like a sprint marathon or sprint triathlon or or any of the olympic marathon olympic uh triathlon i said i'm gonna i'm gonna go do it i'm just gonna go do it just like I said, my first marathon, you know, because I was a hockey player, I, right. I can do this. I run an ultra, I've done this. And, and so I asked a friend of mine, uh, you know, tell me about bikes, you know, I mean, I rode a bike around, but I mean, I'm basically as a runner. And uh, so it got going with the bike, got going with the guys, learned a lot. Rode with Penn Cycle. Oh, it's just what a what a great! And I'm just going to do a sidebar to that because I'll come to the to the bike race. I, I trained with these guys. I got a road bike. I rode with them every Tuesday and Thursday. And and this was a drop ride. So mm-hmm. we they were we would ride 36 miles out around Lake Minnetonka and stuff like that. I mean these are hardcore Cat One, you know, and 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 others. Very good riders. And I would, the first time I rode with them, I made it about three miles with them and they dropped me. (laughs) And I finished the 36 miles. And each each week I would go a little bit farther and a little bit farther and a little bit farther and a little bit farther. And as I got a little bit farther, all those guys would roll back and they say, "Okay, Doc, you know you've got to drop your seat an eighth of an inch because you're gonna be you're gonna feel a lot more power because you're not you know we're looking at you and you're seeing this." And I said, "Okay, great." And they're giving me all kinds of training, all kinds of advice, all that kind of stuff. And the one, the one day that I made the full pull, we had come all the way around to Excelsior, and it was the last, uh, last pull up a hill by the XL uh, towers. Just all these things mean only those that know where these things are. Uh-huh. And I was just on the rivet. I was just on the rivet, and I stayed with them. They all slowed down. Now, this is, this is months of riding with these guys, months. They all slowed down, all stopped, and and just gave me a huge salute. Said, Doc, go to the front, and let me just ride there for a while. And we finished it off at Penn Cycle over on 76 and, and Cedar Lake Road. Yeah. Uh, that that was my birth. So that, that got me excited, and then I mm-hmm. wasn't – I, I loved the cycling. I, I began to really enjoy the cycling, gotten to, into mountain biking. And then the, 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 the dichotomy, Cole, was I was looking at it, and this, this relates back to my mom, uh, because my mom professionally always – she has a great file that I have of her writings. She's an incredible, incredible author. And one of the great stories, personally and otherwise, was the importance in life in mom's opinion – importance in life personally and professionally to know when to reinvent yourself because otherwise you will become stale and irrelevant in life. That's good. You need to reinvent yourself. And you know, when dad died, mom reinvented herself by coming to me and saying, you know, Bill, I want to run my first marathon. I'm going, mom, we got to sit down and talk about this. Right. She did it right. She reinvented herself. And what I, what I saw with Leadville was that uh, I had fun running, I needed to evolve. I needed to reinvent myself. And I wanted it to be whatever it could be at Leadville. And what your dad and Marilee did and you guys, you created the bike race. It was like a gift from God to me because I didn't really want to run the ultras anymore. Right. Right. I wanted, but I still wanted to come to Leadville. Leadville, you know, you don't find Letville. Letville finds you. Cole, 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 <laughs> it, it finds you. You can't let it go. You cannot let it go. It will not let go of you. And so I said, oh, God bless you guys. You didn't barely know the conversation we had. So I said, oh, my God, what a gift from God that you gave me to create the mountain bike race. And so I said, "Guys, we're going. That's Indy. I'm not dead yet."
0: Well, yes, I yes. I mean, you then turned into, from that moment to 18 finishes, and you developed a January ritual with your team, Indy brothers and sisters, of driving those entries up on a first come, first serve basis before yeah. the lottery. And I'm sure you've got a lot of other tells to share. What are some of those that, that uh, happened along those 18 years?
1: Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, first of all, uh, Cole, and, and there are great pictures of you with your mountain bike uh, summiting Mount Elbert, which is just, <laughs> for all of us, impossible. But I would only draw attention to those who haven't seen it, and you should see it. You should see the bike that he had at the time, <laughs> everyone. Let's listen to this. You should see the bike he had because what, what one of the the many different nuances of Leadville or life, right? Right. And, and, and think of it in terms keep keep them keep the idea of reinventing yourself. Well, that's what happens with everything that doesn't become stale and irrelevant. It become you reinvent it. You mm-hmm. reinvent it by making it better, including yourself. We can reinvent ourselves so that we have relevance. We can be better. We can do better, and we can do this for the rest of our life. I I say to so many people at, at this point, uh, my 75, coming up on 75, and coming up on my 19th buckle this summer, and then the crazy idea, the uh, wonderful idea that two years from now, 2023, I'll be towing the lion at 76 years old, mm-hmm. and the oldest to do this and getting that La Plata Grande, which is the ultimate
0: goal. Double but, La Plata Grande, I mean? <laughs> the, 20 time, the,
1: the 20 time, the
0: double La Plata the time. Grande. I got, I got the 18.
1: But but what's happened over that time is not only um, uh, not only me, but everything else in the industry. So why I referenced your bike is we were riding 26 inch bikes back then right yeah you know i mean when your dad
0: first look at the bikes look at the elastomer shocks if you had shocks Uh, nobody
1: knew what an eagle
0: was nope nobody Nobody, knew what an oil filled shock was yeah
1: all that kind of stuff so so your question is that you know when we came out there we evolved and 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 so many people that haven't been there from day one like us like a lot of us um, you, know, they, they, you know, people refer to people like us as old timers. You know, you know, um, and, and then we refer to the young people as you don't even know what it was like when we did it. <laughs> you know, that's all that kind of stuff. But you remember all of the different changes in the course. I mean, one of the one of the biggest ones is that people don't even realize, but they ride by it and they can't imagine it. Is that right hand turn into the stream bed? Yeah, bus through that rocky park to get back up onto the Hagerman Road on the Colorado Trail.
0: Yeah, that you
1: had to come down on the
0: way back in. That busk creek section, yeah. And uh yeah, that was the hardest section with the worst bikes. And I think the only person I saw truly clear it was Lori Brandt.
2: (laughs) Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep, so. Absolutely. And and talk about
1: you know one thing going out, right? Cuz it's just you know if ever been up there you should just go walk up there just for history's sake and look at the boulders. Right. That are that are strewn. <laughs> We're not talking rocks. No. We're talking boulders. Right. And we had to navigate that on a pitch that was that was greater than the ski jump, you know, <laughs> uh, hill. Uh it, it just absolutely amazing and and on your way back in you you've already been some 78, 80 miles at that point you got to drop into that you got to drop off literally drop off and drop into that so the the whole you know the the nature of bikes the nature of of training the nature of all those things and us individually has changed over that period of time and that that experience for all of us has been Um, you know, our our own individual journey, our own individual journey. And I said it earlier, I said it earlier, and that is you, it's really important for people to understand you've got to respect Leadville and Leadville has so many things. And so all the experiences that we've had at Leadville all relate to um, understanding what Leadville is going to throw at you and how it's going to throw at you. And probably more than anything else, um is your father's quotes that are so famous, got grits and determination. You have an, an you you can do it even better, but you have a well of of unspent, you know, resources. Uh believe in yourself. Because um Leadville is no question physical, but the way you finish Leadville is what's between your
2: ears. That's because
1: right. it is going to, ch- it's going to challenge you like the ultra. And I'll say the same thing, getting to the finish line of the, my first run at Leadville, my finish
2: uh-huh.
1: coming around Turquoise Lake and we're around, we're around the sand beaches and all the park benches and all the parking there. I'll just relate the two together. If I yeah, can go back just for a moment.
2: For sure.
1: And, and John dieger was my pacer. There's a reason you have pacers <laughs> coming back because... You don't make very good decisions when you've been up for 28 hours. That's right, <laughs> and, and and physically doing what you're doing. And I and I looked in and, and you know, and, and here we're evolving from night to day for the second time. Right. And so now we've been running with this beam of light all night long, and slowly the day comes for the second time, and the lights no longer become necessary. But the world is lighting up, and the dimensional change of that is, is beyond psychedelic.
0: Yes, it is.
1: Beyond You know it.
0: I you do. You know it. <laughs> it's be
1: anyone who's been where we're talking right now, it's beyond psychedelic. And I looked around now, because my surroundings were now lit up by God, and I looked over and there was a park bench, and I told John Diego. I said, John whatever you do do not allow me to go lay down on that park bench (laughs) do not and because i i I will never i would never get up again right and and we kept going and 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 so this this whole commitment from inside it, it it goes to the bike race too the bike race is just as challenging. We may not race over uh, that that period of time, but the physical nature, the demanding mental portion of it, is extraordinary.
2: Right. And
1: you know, your fitness is important, but but your fitness is not only physical but mental. You know, and that's again. Now, I'm going to give way to also just saying that you also have some pro people who are, are gifted athletes. They make it look a lot easier than it really is a lot easier. Um, and as you work along the age groups, <laughs> the, uh, the issue becomes, um, uh, e- even more aware. And here, here I want to just share something I shared with so many people because they ask, you know, we don't have a lot of people and I'm, I'm really looking forward to the future of the first 70 year old woman. Oh yeah! But you don't see very many older women like the older guys, and even in the seventies. And you know this because you see the registration. the 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 seventy year old participants are usually just tur- turned from sixty nine to seventy. They will race the whole one hundred, but what you have beautifully created for posterity and for 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 wonderful memories and wonderful continuation of a celebration of life as it continues to add years is the stage race. The stage race is absolutely one of the greatest gifts you gave to so many people in the older ranks. Now, now you you're given it to others, but I'm just going to say that it's because when you, when you're at where we're at, it's here's what I say. We are like old gunslingers, like your dad, your dad and I are like old gunslingers. And we've got a holster and a six shooter. And we've got this great, great worn in leather uh, belt. Just great. And we've got a bandolier of ammunition. Young people, and we got this pistol with a whole bunch of notches on it. Young people have got to get this brand spanking new, never been worn holster. They got this brand spanking new, wonderful six gun on their hip. And they've got a bandolier of silver bullets. And they can fan fire those bullets anytime they want because they're young. And they do. Now, we've got a bandolier. We've got that revolver with notches in it. we got well-worn leather. And we put it on and it fits. But our bandolier is made up of a lot of reloads. A lot yeah. of reloads. And every five or six of those, there's another silver bullet and what you have to learn to do when you get older like us right is know when you have when you want to be able to fire that silver bullet you're gonna have to use your reloads but you have to figure out physiologically training wise everything else how do you get to get that bandolier get that silver bullet put it put it in your revolver and that's going to be the next one you fire that's how you do it at Leadville That's how you do it as an older, older writer. And you got to figure it out. It's a lot more challenging. By the way, I was about to use a word that I think you could use. Difficult? Sure. You can make anything in life difficult. And I'm not saying that it isn't difficult, but you can, you can also, you can also understand it and be responsible for it and do it differently and get it done. And that's really where that's at. So you don't see very many people beyond 72, 73 um, that are still doing the hundred. And I think, right, well, I know right now. Um, uh, uh, what's what's the gentleman's name from Texas um, that?
0: Uh, Gosh, uh, I know
2: who uh, you mean. That but... almost that, al- that, that almost got. I'm, I'm just blocking his name right now. But he he finished. But nobody's ever finished over
1: eighty years old at Leadville. Right. Nobody's finished under twelve hours. Right. You know, he's finished, but he finished like twelve forty-five. So that 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 is still out there. I cannot tell you how big that is uh, for um, you know to, to, uh, an accomplishment. And this isn't what you asked me, but but you know this is where I my my biggest thing is to be able to be the first one to to do the. 20 year buckle, you know, at age 76. And, and I'm, and one one of the other one that's still in the books is is that will forever be at Leadville is in 19 or 2011. Uh, I rode the first ever fat bike, a 45 pound fat bike to a finish at Leadville. Nobody's ever seen ever, ever, ever seen fat bikes had just started. Nobody actually had ever seen them. And I rode a salsa muckluck to the finish line full you know rigid and finish in eleven twenty eight. and i the pictures of that coal are reminiscence of, of a piece of what's level i i said to people it's not just me finishing on the red carpet on a fat bike with a great tr- great big tractor tires on it right <laughs> right uh, it's look at the faces because this is this is what it's all about too Look at the faces, I said to everybody, when you look at that picture, look at the faces of the people standing there as spectators. Look at And look at the little kids. Look at the little kids with their eyes wide open of this guy and this bike, more the bike, coming that they'd never seen before. Leadville touches so many people, young and old, all the time. I said, Look at what is, they're being touched. They're seeing this, and now people ride the fat bike at Leadville, you know, does kind of a routine thing. So all of those, all of those experiences, all of all of those years that you asked me to document the the
2: uh-huh. uh,
1: the eighteen buckles, and I actually I've made it to the finish line over twelve a couple times. So it's got I think I got twenty two or twenty three actually making it to the finish line. Yeah, and. Uh, and, and I know, I do have, I've always finished. I've always finished, over many years, I used to carry a, a small little parrot on my bars. And I, I everybody knew that Doc, if, if you wanted to finish lead bill you keep the parrot behind you. And every That's time right. they'd see the parrot, they'd say, Doc, have we got enough time? they said I said, boys, just, just stay right behind me. We're gonna get a finish. And I'll always bring them in on the finish. And I, one time I got interviewed about being up the top of column line, riding my fat bike. And I, and I told the, the guy that was doing some recording, I said, um, I, I tried to squeak my, my little parrot cause it's a little reed type of squeaky toy. <laughs> well, guess what? Those little reed type of squeaky toys do not squeak at the top of combine not <laughs> enough air to make it squeak i said when this guy stopped squeaking i stop. i stopped breathing so i'm out of here <laughs> yeah. and i and i had it down and so, and i have so many people that that new doc new doc looking for the looking for the bird and 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 uh, you know one year i remember i was i was kind of taking care of my buddy mick who you you and i both
2: uh, oh yeah
1: dearly and he was struggling, and I just wouldn't leave him. I'm, I just I'm staying with you. And I remember pulling in a train. I, I think, uh, you know, I was focused on getting Mick to the finish line. But they were all saying, Doc, have we got? And I said, guys, just get it, get in line. Let's go. Come on, I'll pull you. <laughs> and I pulled them all in. I think there was probably 20, 22 riders that were in our slipstream. I
0: got up the top of uh, Base Camp Hill there where Chris Light lives. Yeah, Chris and, Lloyd. And, I, and yeah. I
1: just, you know, I, I stopped because I, I said, okay, all of you go, go get it. There's the, there's the red carpet. You've earned it, go get it. And I got Mick and, and he was pretty sick. And I said, Mickey, we're going in together. We're going in together. And there's a great famous picture of us up, us coming in. That was the last mm-hmm. time that he did the Leadville Trail 100 mountain Bike Race. But we went in together. So back to your original point where I've gone to so many stories. There are so many, many, many wonderful, incredible stories that go along. And they'll continue. They'll continue to be written by so many authors every year in their own experiences. But the bottom line of everything is going back to the third time I said this. You must you must have reverence and respect for Leadville. Yes. You must respect it. It loves you, but it loves you but like a good father and a good mother. It <laughs> loves you but it's not going to let you, you it's not going to give you a free ride. We've well, got to be
0: ready. Speaking no. of free rides and these memorable stories, we've talked about a, a lot of on course memories, but you've also gotten extremely close to both Ken and Mary Lee. Uh, yeah. What are some of your more memorable moments with that duo? Oh,
1: you know, it, it, oh my God. <laughs> you know, your, your dad is my brother.
0: He is, you know?
1: for sure. And, and Mary Lee is my sister. And. Um, <sighs> They, they are, they, they, I, I, you know, I mean, we've, we've all properly paid reverence to your mom and dad and, and let's not forget for a moment, you know, uh, Pat, who's been in the background as well and, and you who have been now in the background, but now in the foreground, because you and you, your dad, Marilee, and a lot of us have talked about this, you are going to inherit that legacy and carry that legacy on. And that's really, um, and in, I mean, an enormous, uh, they like to say those are big boots, right? But you <laughs> are totally prepared for that, that, uh, responsibility. You, you know, it, you understand it. Our experience, my experience with, with your dad, um, is all the stories that you just heard, which are wonderful, and many, many more, mm-hmm. um, are no different than the story that your father and Meryl uh, did in Leadville, singularly for for the people of Leadville, and for the rest of the world. Uh, you know, they there is no doubt in anyone's mind, unless you don't like them, that that they they are Leadville. Uh, Leadville is today because of those two. Now that's 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 a big statement, and there's other pieces, but the other pieces wouldn't have ever even come about if it wasn't for those two uh, to begin with. And and you remember um, a number of years ago, I think it was like 2015. Um, there was always this argument about well, what's the economic value
2: mm-hmm.
1: to to Leadville? Yep. And your, your father uh, and the legacy fund actually commissioned the college there in Leadville, the Colorado College, to actually do a study and look at that. And what they discovered is what happened with me Right. Uh, it, is that I loved Leadville so much. And, of course, when you – like I said earlier, when you created the bike race, you gave me a, a gift that would last for the rest of my life. And so in 2006, I built a home in Leadville. Leadville's my home. Right. And there have been literally thousands of people who have done the same thing as the expansion continues. That uh, and and just the, the whole um, if you will Mecca of people coming to Leadville um, and, and all the things that happen. Look what's happening with the development, you know, that's down you know by the Safeway there. Look at look at all the things that are going on. Look at the the gifts that the Legacy Foundation has given to those wonderful school children there uh, is a is a, uh, a kickstart, you know, to the rest of their life.
2: Uh, yeah, all so those things. Starships. Your dad,
1: and so when you ask me about your dad, that's who this guy is. And, he, oh, my God, you know, people maybe know things, but I don't think they know everything. That He is one tough SOB. <laughs> no question about it. Unbelievable. But so is Marilee, and so is Pat. And they're bred out of the same gold, guts, grits, and determination at Leadville. We, and back to the 80s, back to the 80s, remember, that's when I was starting the Marathon Training Program and, and a number of other things back in Minnesota. So we kind of knew each other. And, and that's when I started Edmund Fitz. So so we knew each other. I mean, I had sure. a road ultra uh, that I did, but of course they had Leadville. And so we, we, we struck it off right away, just talking about just ultras in general. And your dad was just uh, uh, was just an amazing, just has become uh, an amazing friend. Uh, we <laughs> we sing happy birthday to each other very poorly, I might add, but we sing it. And they are they um, they're everything that it is that we've talked about today. They are they are everything. And and I got to tell you, one of the things that's trending out there, I just want to say it on behalf of the podcast, because I know a lot of people would like to say it, but one of the things that's trending is the letter.
0: Oh, yes, yes. Everybody loves the the bringing back of the letter, for sure. I have not heard that less than 300 times already. I mean, yeah. Yes. So. uh,
1: Yes. And if there isn't. Many ways. That's just another way of saying who these two are. Who are who are the head of the family in Leadville?
0: Well, it, are. it is, and you're very complimentary. But we've got to come, we have come full circle, and I've got to, you know, kind of wrap this with yep. with you and your being that way too. And, and, and just how entrepreneurial we all are, how much of a family we all are, and how that makes you and you, our family listening, just as much a part of this magic that makes it all work, this part of magic that we know as Leadville. And that leads to my next question. Can you tell me how Leadville has shaped your life beyond race day? Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Let me take a couple
1: deep breaths. <laughs> um, Leadville, honestly, is if you haven't been touched by it, it's it's not difficult, but it is to explain to somebody what it is. Yes. But when it when it when it grabs you, um, it's got you. Um, I Leadville is everything to me in my life. Every, it's 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 the culmination of everything that you and I have shared today. And there's so many stories that I have to tell. That's why I'm going to be a great <laughs> rocking chair storyteller. Cause I could go on for a lot. There's so many stories, yeah. wonderful, beautiful, 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 inspirational stories. And God has given, given me that life to live. And I'm grateful to God for, for those wonderful skills. And, and I hope that when I see him, uh, that he'll say job, well done job, well done. <laughs> and part of that is, is, just um, every time I come out and I make the turn into the valley uh-huh. from climax, from the bottom of climax, and I and I start to see Mount Albert and Mount Massive, um, the heart and the tears <laughs> <laughs> start to flow. And when you come up that little hill, By the Shell Station, there's nothing like it in any other town, Buena Vista, Salida, name them all, where you come up and you literally come to the top because you look to the left and it's the Mosquito Range. And you look to the right and you've got Mount Albert, the highest peak in Colorado, and Mount Massa, the second highest peak. And you are on this, what seems to be like you've climbed up and now you can see the world. And that's really what Leadville's all about. Is it if you if you respect it, listen to it, understand it, embrace it, internalize it, it will it will literally define the rest of your life by far in everything that you do. And when I say you have to respect Leadville, that means the development that goes on for you to get to that point will be the skills and the ability and the knowledge and the confidence that you can do anything in life. There's nothing difficult in life that you can't overcome when you literally are in the Leadville family and understand what Leadville is. Understand it, have respected it, and you know what you're not, and and here, you know what you find with a lot of people that have gained that particular awareness and reinvented themselves, like my mom talks you never see them ever bragging about that what they have Right. there's no braggadocia it's this sense of confidence this sense of a look of a stature of a feeling you can tell those that know you can tell those that have had an experience at Leadville and that's why they keep on coming back because they know how important it is to their character, their future, their family, their kids, their, their, their work. Whatever it is they're doing in life is is connected to the experience they have there. It's, it's, it, it, it is truly a very, very special place, um, but also has to be earned. No question.
0: Boy, I certainly could not have said that better myself. I can't thank you enough for the time you've spent with us today. Is there anything else you want to tell your family before I let you go today?
1: Well, just, uh, hey, you know what, guys, Uh, keep on cheering, keep on volunteering. Uh, The greatest experience you can have in developing your own uh, connection to Leadville is to jump in there and be a part of everyone else's journey. Be a volunteer. Look at get involved in all those races, the other races. Be out there as a as a support crew. And uh, when you see this Marine coming along wearing his Marine Corps uniform, uh, his kit uh just give me a you know semper fi you know and go doc uh, because there's, <laughs> there's literally thousands of people that i probably don't even know personally but they know who i am and i i want them to know that i appreciate uh the fact that they're on the journey with me and uh we'll get the my whole my whole great big shadow box in my home that you've seen that has all those finish buckles has all those you know those 18 buckles i mean oh, yeah. i look up there sometimes i said who did that who got 18 many people would love to have one and there are 18 of them up there but i i tell everybody the effort that was necessary to get those 18 pales in comparison to what it's going to take uh to dig deep uh from me to get these next two you know at the age of 75 and age of 76 number 19 and number 20 it's going to be um it's going to be quite a task, worthy, worthy to the fact that that will happen. But it's it's going to be um, every much every every bit uh, the way it should be. Those last two uh, difficult, challenging, not for sure. Uh, but it's 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 no different than when you're first experiencing let bill. Do not give up. Just keep going. Trust what's between your ears. You keep on thinking about the finish line, uh, you know, and, and finish what you started. And that's what we're going to be doing. So, yeah, lots of cheers, hopefully, <laughs> all those things, Cole. And and I love you, brother. Love
0: well, you. Go I love on. you. And uh, Ken, Mary Lee, and Cole are going to be on that line to see those next two happen, if not more.
2: Yeah.
0: So once a- <laughs> and i got to do one more. I gotta,
1: your dad, your dad. And Marilee, Marilee controls it a little bit more. But your dad, your dad is more into this. <laughs> I can't be more than, than than me. But he is in there with me. He oh, is goodness. a. I've heard from people that he is a nervous wreck, and he is so pissed off at me when <laughs> I when I'm always you
0: know just running right up close to that twelve hour. You know, last one was a uh, uh, eleven fifty one. Right, well, he's, he's not the know, only you know, one. His his provos- uh, provocative
1: of using words that we can't do right now, but <laughs> but between us, he has those that vocabulary, and he is he said, would well, you not stop the <laughs> you, You're driving me crazy. Why don't you get why don't you get here sooner? What are you doing sitting up there on top of
0: Chris's hill there waiting?" And I said, "Yeah, probably." You know, <laughs> well and you know they're he, all waiting. They're all waiting.
1: And they're all nervous and uh, I appreciate that. That that's true love for sure.
0: Well, I think I'm more nervous than him and I like seeing you get in there too. So
1: <laughs> Yeah, you too, Cole, I know. Yeah. As as with so many. No no question. Thank you, Cole. And God bless you, brother. And God bless you on your wonderful trip, too. Uh, you know, that uh, all of what we talked about uh, will someday be yours to carry uh, y- yourself. And, and you are, are going to do an absolutely amazing job. You are an amazing speaker. You are coming into your age. You, the, the, the talks that you are giving now are so you, but also in the spirit of your father and Marilee and your mom uh it, it you know i'm, I'm just so darn proud of you and and what you'll be doing and and carrying it on and i i appreciate that someday i won't be
0: here but i'll be looking down and being very happy about that well you got he you got me choked up you're far too kind um definitely couldn't do it if it weren't for all of you and wouldn't do it if it weren't for all of you so it's a a two-way street that keeps that magic alive and uh Once again, can't thank you enough for your time today, and we can't wait to see you at home. We can't wait to see you in Leadville.
1: Yep, and that'll be soon. Thanks, Cole. Love you, brother. Talk to you very, very soon. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: Love you, Doc. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, Leadville family, you hear us talk about family all the time. And this gentleman, William Doc Winmark, is definitely a part of mine. I hope he becomes a part of yours. I hope you've enjoyed what you've heard. And please don't forget to give us a like and subscribe wherever you're getting your podcasts. Aside from that, we can't wait to see you at home. We can't wait to see you in Leadville.